Hey, this is Chris Bailey, author of Hyperfocus, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best. Have you ever had so much going on at work that you reached the end of the day and realized that time flew by so quickly, you wonder where the hours went? Sometimes that's okay, sometimes it's not. As my next guest, Chris Bailey, author of Hyperfocus, How to Be More Productive in a World of Distraction, explains. Few skills rival being able to manage your attention, my friends. Chris has a wealth of valuable information and perspectives to share in this interview, and it reminded me of how important it is to set my own intentions for the day soon after waking up. This topic is one to learn from now and revisit often. Listen in. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Chris Bailey. Chris is a productivity expert and best-selling author of The Productivity Project, which has been published in 11 languages. Chris has written hundreds of articles on the subject of productivity and appeared in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, New York Magazine, Huffington Post, Harvard Business Review, Ted Fortune, Fast Company, and many other major media outlets. He's here to share insights from his book, Hyperfocus, how to be more productive in a world of distraction. Welcome, Chris. Hey, man. How are you? Doing great. Glad you're here. Yeah, thanks for having me. The, the Hyperfocus has now eclipsed, you'll be happy to know, the Productivity Project. It's out in 13 languages, and one happens to be English. And so I think you'll be happy about that, too. <laughs> I think everyone listening rejoiced as they heard the, that news. <laughs> Thank God. I, oh, man, I was hoping to did not have to slog through one of the Korean editions of the book. And yeah, English is a lot easier. It's more accessible to English-speaking audiences. Hey, Chris, when you were growing up, Who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Are you ready for a cliche answer? It's going to sound cliche, but there's a story behind it. And that the person is Steve Jobs. Um, yeah, of course, one of the co-founders of Apple Computer. And I remember uh, he, he inspired me most with how he speaks. Uh, his, his famous keynotes. I remember my first computer was an iBook G4. It came out October 22nd in, uh, I think, 2003. And uh, it was one of those opaque white... I'm a big nerd about Apple things. This thing had 256 megabytes of memory. It had an 800 megahertz processor back when processors, we, we, we measured them in megahertz and, and memory in megabytes instead of gigahertz and gigabytes. And uh, th this was what got me into technology. It's what first started that, that burning curiosity. It eventually turned from technology into productivity. Now it's spiraling as a bit of both, but it's kind of that, that tinkering mindset where I thought, okay, I'm going to tinker with technology. I'm going to dive deep into this, this world of nerdy things. And that, that inspired me to, to get into productivity and, and tinker with my own mind at some point as well. And so, uh, you know, it was, it was the way he spoke and the way he communicated and presented what he created that inspired me the most. Where, and are you talking about how he did product introductions? Uh, exactly, yeah. Yeah, you know, he, he didn't talk about, for example, how many languages the operating system came in. He didn't say, oh, this, you know, Mac OS, it comes in, in uh, 11 different languages. He said, this is what the computer will do for you. And so he's a much better marketer <laughs> than I am, for example. But it, it was the way he communicated things that I loved so much. You know, the, the tangible... Uh, benefits, frankly, of, 
of, uh, of you know, and plus the way he ran his companies. He, he was uh, maybe a bit more abrasive than he had to be l- looking backwards. There, there might be better ways to lead people than, than being rough on them. But uh, at the same time, you, you can't doubt vision. And so, yeah, that, I think it's his vision that, of simplicity that inspired me. That's fabulous. Simplicity in so many aspects of his life and, and I'm sure has influenced you. Yeah, because also I'm thinking also of his dress. I, I worked for Apple. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I think you mentioned it offhandedly. Maybe you planted the seed in my mind. I'm not sure. I'm thinking what the magicians call that, not pre-framing, seeding. Oh, eating yeah. Yeah, exactly. As you think of, of how that's influenced your life, the lesson of simplicity is something that I think comes through when you read the book, Hyperfocus, because you don't make the importance of focusing more complex than it needs to be, at least from my opinion. Was that something that was an important principle to you as you dug into that? Always. Uh, You know, one of the, one of my favorite quotes, maybe my favorite quote uh, is from a Leonard Skinner song. I I don't even listen to Leonard Skinner, but I I saw this lyric and I thought, oh my gosh, what a beautiful sentiment. And the the quote is, uh, be a simple kind of man, someone you can love and understand. Mm-hmm. And our minds are so complex, and so we have to understand them because this is the mechanism through which we run companies. It's the mechanism by which we live our lives and, and make decisions. And, um, and so I think, you know, the better understand, we understand our mind, first of all, the better we're able to work, the more productive we're able to become, but also the better we're able to, to communicate about how we understand our mind. And, and that, that was one of the fun challenges of writing this book was what little nuggets are the most important with regard to becoming a better person, becoming a more focused person. And one of the ways by which I tried to accomplish that was looking at the research and then working backwards from the research to how we should live our lives a bit differently every single day. Because it's very easy to come into this subject of focus with a lot of preconceptions. Like that multitasking is something we can't do. We can't multitask most of the time, but there are a few weird instances in which we can, like when we're multitasking with habits, as an example. We can listen to a podcast like this one while we fold the laundry and do both of the things and accomplish folding the laundry while we process the podcast because we do it with different centers of our mind. Um, Another one is that uh, interruptions are a bad thing. The research shows that sometimes being interrupted is one of the best things that can happen for ourselves or for our team, uh, especially when we're doing work that's collaborative. There, there was one uh, a fa- fabulous study that I encountered in writing the book uh, that was conducted by Gloria Mark, who's a researcher at Microsoft. And she observed a team of engineers at Boeing who were uh, designing an engine. And they had a tr- the traditional way where they engineered it kind of just by, by the way they usually did. And they, they found, I, I think she found something like that. It took them six months to create the, the end product. And, but when she found that they were in the same environment, when she says, okay, everybody, you know, get out of your office, be in the same environment, you know, where people are interrupted all the time. People are constantly getting information from one another. That lowered from six months to, I believe, about four weeks to, to get the end product because interruption is the process by which collaboration happens. Uh, and, and so if you come into writing a book like, like this one or exploring, frankly, any topic that's tangentially related to productivity with these preconceptions, you're going to come at it often from the wrong direction. There, there are some pieces of advice that are more 
natural, like maybe that we should become less stimulated and let our mind become bored every once in a while and, and rest and, and wander because this is when our best ideas come to us. It's when we think strategically. But at the same time, when you approach things from the science and work backwards, you end up with, with these counterintuitive insights from companies like Boeing and, and you know, a bit smaller too. You know, these phenomenons are, are human. Let's jump into that Boeing one just a little bit further. I bet you that's appropriate at different stages of the engineering process where it's beneficial to have the interruptions. And I wonder also if you've thought about if you get the engineers out of their offices and they're interacting in a big conference room or you know maybe a retreat or something, I don't know where yeah. they got them together, then the types of interactions they have are all focused around that project rather yeah. than from a, a variety of different stimuli, people calling, you know, mm -hmm. people interrupting about miscellaneous things rather than interruptions that are work-related, even if it's not specifically on the problem that someone in particular is solving. Can you yeah, exactly. Can you explain context to that? Yeah, I think the most important context with regard to focus on a team level is the breakdown of how much of that the work that the team does is a collaborative or B, focused work. And so, you know, on the collaborative side, you have, uh, say, a, a shuttle launch going to space where process, you know, interruptions are an important part of that process. If something goes wrong, it's a good thing that everybody knows about it so that they can fix it um, instead of people having their noise-canceling headphones on and uh, just hunkering down, not being connected to the outside world. You know, the, the hyper-collaborative nature of those environments is essential to accommodate for in the workplace environment. Same as in a newsroom. You know, there, there's a lot of reporters who need to hunker down on writing stories, but as it comes to the breaking news that's constantly coming out, which is frankly a bit exhausting, but that's beside the point. Um, the news is actually fascinating with regard to our focus. Just one quick study on, on that, then I'll go back on, off of this tangent. Um, it, it involved the Boston Marathon bombings, I think in 2013. And the, the group of researchers looked at two uh, groups of people. The first group of people watched six or more hours of news coverage about the bombings, and the second group of people were running in the marathon. And what the researchers found was that the group of people who watched six or more hours of news coverage about the Boston Marathon bombings were more likely to develop PTSD than somebody who was in the marathon and personally affected by it. Um, and so it's another thing, this is yet something else to consider that doesn't involve collaboration, is that you know, the state of our attention so often determines the state of our lives. That's, that's especially true with the work that we do, with the information we consume. It affects our happiness and it affects our focus because of that fact. But it, it's so critical to look at where your work exists on, on this spectrum between this collaborative place and this focused place. So on the hyper-collaborative side, you might have a team launching a satellite into space. But on the focused side, you might have a novelist who does their best work by hunkering down without distractions and uh, without interruptions from the world around them. And so identifying where on this spectrum the work that you do lies. Fr frankly, for a lot of small business owners, it'll probably be towards the, the collaborative side, especially if, if you're the one running the ship. Or, uh, but for the individual people on your team, you might find that it exists more on the focus side of the spectrum. So designing an office environment that is more conducive 
to a greater level of attention of work, where maybe it's not an open office type of environment, which might save you a bit of money on the balance sheet, but might cost you more than that in terms of lost productivity because people aren't able to focus. And so, you know, I think there's a couple, that was like a Russian nesting doll way of answering the question, but there's a couple things in there. Uh, I think accommodate for the, that where you are on that spectrum, both personally, so if you're doing work that's focused, find an, an office, a place that you can focus on that work. If you're in an open office, go to a cafe and put on those noise-canceling headphones while you do that work. But also look at the breakdown of what your team does overall, where it is between uh, super collaborative and super focused, and create an environment that, um, that accommodates that. But also look at the information you consume, because that part of your work might affect you, as well as what you consume outside of it. So I think that we're talking about looking at the type of work that you do. And I bet you'd encourage when people in a large group in a, a small company decide about that, they want to have a conversation about that. I bet you that would be interesting for people in a, a staff meeting or a project team to say, look, here's a spectrum from zero to 10 or from, let's just say, from highly collaborative to highly focused. And where do you think we are and see how much agreement there is in that meeting? as to how everyone perceives that work. I think, yeah. a, second, I think a second point you yeah. brought up that's really interesting is that the environment has a great deal to do with it. Uh, whether you can bring in noise-canceling headphones or you're always in an environment that's very noisy and interrupt-prone, such as a newsroom. I, I thought that the uh, TV show Newsroom with Jeff Daniels was particularly yeah. good at highlighting that. In, in your research, if you have some ways for people to, it, this is what I always get to, do you have the efficacy, the self-agency to be able to say, I need to focus now. And even though my environment is noisy, here are some, you know, a couple different techniques I could use or ways that I can change how I look at or, or how my environment is or how I'm organizing my attention in order to make it ad adapt it to what we need in the moment. Yeah, for sure. I think having a focus ritual, because you know, we, we all do a different combination of work that falls into those buckets of collaborative and focused. If, if you're an admin assistant, for example, 90% of your work, 95% of it might be collaborative, whereas uh, five or 10% might be focused. But if you're an entrepreneur, such as I am, it might be more like, well, I'm an, an author so and a speaker. So it's like, it's a weird combination of those things. But I'd say about 50 to 60% of my time is focused, whereas 40 to 50% of it is collaborative around other people. And so, you know, look at that work. But chances are there's a bit of work that you do where you want to hunker down on it. You want uh, time to be focused on that stuff. And uh, as I call it, hyper-focus on that stuff. And one of the best and simplest ways is to, is to schedule time for it. Uh, if you have an admin that you work with, make sure they block off this time in your calendar so you can, you can actually focus and don't feel too guilty about closing your office door because you have an important meeting, which happens to be with yourself, but it's, it's how the important work gets done. Mm -hmm. And have a focus ritual that you follow. My, my favorite focus ritual, uh, I like to write uh, in the morning. So I make a cup, cup of uh, matcha tea. I put on my noise-canceling headphones. I often disconnect from the internet entirely if I don't need to be connected because we the internet feels more important than it actually is with regard to doing focused work. And so I hunker down and if I'm online, I'll use a distractions blocker and I'll set a timer. I'll, or if, if I'm working for that schedule block of time, 
I'll simply focus on one thing until that time is done. And then reflect on how much I was able to accomplish after because in my eyes, the best productivity advice is self-reinforcing. And so you think, oh my gosh, that helped me to accomplish so much more. Just I, I did more focusing on writing that report in those 30 minutes than I often accomplish in an entire afternoon's worth of doing unfocused work. And so maybe I'm going to do this again. Maybe I'm going to, this is going to be a way to add a lot of value for the business. This is a way to think about strategy as opposed to just keeping up with, with the day-to-day demands of business and life. And, and so I think have a focus ritual. And if you find that distractions are, are very difficult to tame in the moment, you know, like you said, find a different environment. One that is more conducive to your focus. You ask a lot of people where they're the most productive and few people say the office. People say, oh, it's the, it's the house before the kids have woken up. It's the coffee shop that's downstairs uh, at the company that, you know, that, that I'm able to focus on with my headphones on uh, and people watching a little bit. And, and so find that place, find those conditions, look back in time for when you were the most focused in the past because you have enough data there too. In your book, you make a, a distinction that's really important to cover here between the two modes of thinking, which is hyperfocus mm-hmm. and scatter focus. Can you sketch those out for us just so we have those as operating principles in this conversation? Yeah, so in any one moment of the day, you're either focused on something or your mind is wandering. You can't be focused and wandering at the same time. And each of these modes has wonderful benefits. Um, And over time, as I've looked at the research, we spend about half of our day focused and about half of our day unfocused. But, and here's the, the big but, is most of the time that we're unfocused, we're unfocused against our will. We want to be focused on something. We want to be having a conversation, but our mind is off in some fantasy land. Uh, we're trying to write an email, but we're thinking about what we have to do after work. And, and so by compartmentalizing these little blocks of time throughout the day, uh, we're able to kind of schedule little creative blocks of time for us. And I, I like to think of it as, as being analogous to, to how traffic flows down the highway. And so if you look at it, how traffic moves down a highway, what allows it to move forward isn't how fast that cars are moving, uh, but rather how much space exists between the cars on a highway that lets traffic move forward. And uh, our, our work is the exact same way. Uh, you know, we need that space between tasks because that's what lets us think about the future. That's what lets us plan. That, that's what lets us come up with these ideas that we have. I mean, if you think back to when you're last most brilliant light bulb insight struck you, you probably weren't focused on anything. <laughs> you were probably taking a shower and then, you know, maybe out of the, the mist, you saw an idea form as several uh, constellations of dots that were swirling around and in your mind came together and connected in that one moment. We need these little moments throughout the day to plan, to ideate, to rest as well. And we also need moments of focus because when we're focused, we're moving our work forward in the first place. And and so I think that's the key takeaway. And I call these modes when we're completely focused on something um, deliberately, uh, hyper-focus. And when we can deliberately unfocus, so we're not really paying attention to anything in particular, but we do it with intention, I call that scatter focus. And and so in that way, and this is kind of a more counterintuitive idea as it relates to our attention, it's not about trying to find all the focus to just focus on our work all day long. But 
managing our attention is something that we should do because we're able to achieve a nicer and more deliberate balance of these two mental modes. One that's productive, one that's creative. One that's about focusing, one that's about wandering. One, one that's about you know, moving our work forward and, and one that's about deciding how we're going to move our work forward in the first place. And so, you know, one's planning, one's executing. You, you, you know, there are so many beautiful ways that these two mental modes, these two attentional modes in our mind cross-pollinate with one another, but all of them are, are so worth thinking about and considering and implementing and taking advantage of in our lives because they mean so much. Our attention, you know, it's everything. I think everyone listening to this now will be able to take away that it's really important to understand what mode you're in and whether it's a fit for what the task is at hand, and then to be able to do something about it. I think that's a great model to be used in a lot of situations. In some of your work, have you come across companies that needed to become more scatter focused and they had set up in a structure that didn't allow for it. I think of a lot of times when I go into facilitate meetings and they're putting us in a place with fixed chairs that just isn't going to work. We need to move to a different room that allows chairs to move. Have you come across any of that in either the research that you've done or any of the consulting work that you've done? Um, a little bit in, in the consulting work that I've done. I do more, you know, business coaching than consulting. And uh, somebody that I've been working with for several years now, his name is Boris. I think he runs a a company of around three or 400 people. And he found that, you know, he was, he was focusing on stuff all day long. And, and I think one of the bigger costs of focusing on things all day long is, you know, you see it in the physical structure replaced like that. The chairs don't move that, Maybe the, the office doesn't have nature around it, so people don't go for walks to think. Maybe there's no gym that employees have access to, and so they spend lunchtime at their desk, you know, you know kind of numbing their mind and focusing on social media. But I think that the more dangerous structure is the structure of expectations that we have around our attention, where we want people to be connected 100% of the time. But if somebody's connected 100% of the time, they're going to be focused 100% of the time and no ideas will ever come to them. That, that's a pretty big cost to, to suffer through with, with our employees. I, I think a big thing that we have to do is start with ourselves. You know, we need to look at how we manage our own attention because frankly, that'll cascade through, um, through our organization. Role modeling is one of the, you know, the, the research shows is one of the biggest influences that we can have on the employees who work for us. And I think this is something that we really need to consider. If we respond to emails three minutes after they come in, that's going to create a culture of expectations and a structural kind of expectational boundary around the work that we do, uh, where people are going to be ultra responsive all day and not let their mind wander at all. I think, if anything, you know, we're more focused than we have to be. And that is detrimental to, the, to our bottom lines, to, to the success of our business. And one, one example of this um, is how often we think about the future when we're focused on something and when our mind is wandering. You know, we, there's this great quote from J.R.R. Tolkien where he says that not all those who wander are lost. And this is true with our wandering mind as well. Whenever we're idle, whenever we're not really focusing on much in the moment, we think about our goals 14 times as much 
when our mind is wandering versus when we're focused on something. We think about the future that much more. We think about the future of our company. We think about our goals. We think about things beyond just the immediate demands of the moment. And it's not just us that has to do this with regard to our business. It's our employees as well. And this is something that we should all take to heart. I think a big part of where it starts is having these expectations where, you know, if we don't send emails after hours, it becomes less likely that our employees will as well. So let's just surface that. First, I'm going to mention, I had a smile because that was my high school yearbook quote. Not all that glitters that? gold and not all of those who wander are lost by Jared. That's awesome. <laughs> but let's, let's return to email, which I think is probably mm-hmm. one of the mer- most pernicious um, disablers of productivity in business today, business of all yeah. sizes. What's your perspective on it? And what are people doing right? And what are people doing wrong? in terms of the use of email? Well, we need to see email differently. You know, it, it's, it's electronic mail, but we treat it as a text message. Um, you know, we check our physical email box once a day. And so this is what I try to do with my digital mailbox. I check it once a day, I respond to the letters that have come in, and I'm able to think on a, on a more strategic time frame. And th- this is, you know, I have a separate email account that that isn't public facing, that just the people I work with closely over the course of the day have access to. And so I check that a few times, but you'd look like an insane person if you walked your email inbox, you know, 10, 11 times every hour. The average knowledge worker uh, checks their email 88 times over the course of a day. I work from home when I'm not traveling, which is about 40 to 50% of the time. And I I would look like an insane person. All all my neighbors would think, "What, what the hell is this guy waiting for? Is he like waiting for a university acceptance letter like why why is he (laughs) email inbox 11 times every hour and i I think we need to see our email differently you know we treat it as an i am rather than email electronic mail Uh, and and so you know a a few strategies that have worked for me if you find that you need to be ultra responsive where you're in that that culture where it's about being immediately available 100 percent of the time Something that works really well that, you know, I've coached that gentleman and a few other people to do is to do email sprints. And so at the start of each hour, you set a timer for 10 or 15 minutes. And in that time, you blow through as much email as you humanly can. And so, you know, you make a game out of it and it becomes more fun. But at the same time, at most, somebody has to wait 45 to 50 minutes for an email response to something that's urgent uh, and quite important. And and so they have to wait that long if you're in a a meeting anyway. Uh, Maybe you had an appointment in the afternoon. People have to wait that long anyway. And I I think, you know, this is a general rule that most of us need to take to heart is that we think the world needs us more than it actually does. And this is a lesson that I'm personally constantly relearning, especially when the work that I do, like a lot of entrepreneurs, it provides me with a lot of stimulation and validation it, it, to, for you know, me to think, oh, you know, I, I do cool work. I'm a cool guy. Um, I think a lot of us fall into this, this category of people. And so we need to constantly remind ourselves that when, whenever we're being responsive, we're not thinking strategically. And whenever we're th- not st- thinking strategically, we're not moving our business forward in an incredibly meaningful way. Uh, and so, you know, 
stimulation is kind of the opposite of that strategic thinking. And so by adjusting it downwards, we're able to think that much more deeply about what we do. That's right. And, and it's to look, it's to raise your vision and look further out on the horizon, not just what's immediately ahead of you. Yeah, exactly. And if you're not going to have that vision at your company, who is? Chris, are you ready for the Mike Quest for the best lightning round? Oh man, I was born ready. I got my water here. I got my, yeah, I just have my water, but I'm ready. <laughs> so what's have you... a pile of, of Canadian $20 bills on my desk because I just sold uh, my iPad on an app called Kijiji. And so I also have that in front of me. It's kind I, of... I think that we will benefit from that. Full, full disclosure, I, I thought everybody would appreciate that information. Anyway. What would you say are one or two of the key components of your routine for daily success? Hmm, reading. Uh, I, I start every single morning by connecting information. The first thing I reach for in, my mor- in the morning, it's not the phone. Um, after I say, hey, uh, smart speaker, play some piano music, then it plays Simply Piano Radio. I say, hey, smart speaker, set my lights to, to 60. And in bed, uh, I read for about half an hour to an hour. With, uh, people might think, oh, that's the biggest lecture in the world, but people use their phone for half an hour to an hour every single morning in bed. People watch four hours of TV every single day. Um, and so I don't think that's that much time. That is something that sets me up for, for a successful day. Every morning I set three intentions, three things that I'll want to have accomplished by the end of the day. Sometimes they're simple. Sometimes it's like, okay, finish this book. Sometimes it's finish this chapter of the book that I'm writing. Sometimes it's uh, create a good structure for this talk that I'm going to give or a good outline for somebody that I'm coaching. Whatever the heck it happens to be, um, whatever my demands of the day are, wherever I want to move my work forward, at the beginning of the day, I choose the things I want to have accomplished by the day's end. And I, I measure my productivity at the end of the day against the intentions that I set at the start of the day. And that's how I see how successful and, and productive I was. And I'm just going to clarify... When you say reading, some people think that reading email is the same as reading. <laughs> oh man, no, I'm reading, I'm, I'm reading fiction and nonfiction. And, and so I'm reading uh, one book on artificial intelligence right now, another book, uh, Amusing Ourselves to Death, which was written uh, several decades ago, but it's about how stimulated we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the, this is written in the age of television. And of course, now we're in the age of the internet when things are a lot worse, but it's a great book. And I'm reading A Pattern Language, which is a book about city design and, and how cities should ideally be structured, which, you know, it provi- it's like a weird book to read if you're into productivity, but then you encounter these ideas that are kind of related to productivity, like how traffic flows down a highway, for example. Mm-hmm. And I'm also reading uh, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen or, or rereading Pride and Prejudice because, it, fr- frankly, it's, it's such a beautiful way of thinking and looking at the world and, and reading fiction uh, makes us more empathetic and it lets us view other, uh, uh, other viewpoints. And just to clarify, you're not reading all of these books. You're picking maybe one or two and spending 15 to 30 minutes with it so that people yeah. don't get the impression that you power read through 12 books before breakfast. <laughs> No, I'm not reading the whole book. It's pretty debunked as something that, that doesn't really uh, allow us to, to consume more information properly. I'm, I'm, you know, bouncing around between two or three of these books over the course of an hour. There you go. <laughs> yeah, don't, please don't hold me up on some pedestal. I'm a very slow reader. If you find yourself stuck in a way or a mindset or on a topic that you don't want, What's your favorite way to get unstuck? In terms of focusing on things throughout the day or what stuck in what way? Yeah, with your personal productivity, your goals, mm-hmm. how to make things move forward. 
Yeah. So my, my fiance and I, we, we've been doing this for years. We have weekly meetings. And, and this, is, this is an idea that I stole from, from a colleague of mine whose name is Adam Grant. And he oh, yeah. has a weekly meeting with his, his wife. And, uh, and so in our weekly meeting, we go over you know, what we want to be held accountable for in the other person. Like, oh, I don't want to eat between meals this week, or I, I'm really stuck in this rut at work and I haven't really created anything in a while. What do I want to be held accountable for this week from you? What do I need from you to make this a good week? And so in, in that way, I, we create good weeks for one another. And it's a nice little way of, of connecting and, and sharing what we're, what we're struggling with at the same time. And also, you know, that I make sure I hold myself accountable. And if I if that's not working, then I look for somebody else to do that, and Arden will lay the smack down if I'm not performing well enough. <laughs> not really, but but at least I feel guilty about it. You know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna offer any commentary if that's the image that works for you to keep you on track. <laughs> she, I need to be kept back on track more than she needs to be kept on track, but. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's, that's for sure. But it really does help to have an accountability partner, especially if you run a business, because you're really not accountable to anybody. If you don't have shareholders, it's just you making the money. And not everybody is just kind of like, Oh, yeah, you're doing such a good job, boss. But uh, you need somebody to tell you when um, you need somebody to hold you accountable when you're not. And here's a question I think you'll enjoy. What's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped or changed in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure and personal satisfaction? Oh, that's a great, I think working eight hours a day. Uh, I used to uh, try to work from nine to five every single day, keeping the work within those boundaries. And, and I've realized over time that that's too many hours over the course of the day. Uh, now, that being said, you know, I, I do fi about five keynotes a month. I coach three people uh, full time right now. I'm uh, writing, I'm, you know, planning another book. I'm promoting this one full time. I'm writing for my site. I'm writing for various outlets. And eight hours, I, I find that if I do, need to do eight hours of work over the course of the day, that's too many hours. I'm not delegating properly. Mm. Uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not saying no to enough things that are not important. Uh, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not being defensive enough of my time. The, these days, I'm finding that four to six hours every single day is enough focused time for me um, to, to do good work. And that if I need to work for longer than that, it's not a sign that I'm not managing my time properly. It's a sign I'm not managing my attention properly. I'm focusing on too much in the moment. I'm not working efficiently. And I think this is something that we should question. You know, we, we tend to work these eight-hour days, letting our work expand to fit how much time we have for it, when really, uh, in a lot of cases, four hours ought to do. Well, Chris, I want to thank you so much for sharing with us on my quest for the best. You've given us some great ideas. You've reminded us of, of Steve Jobs being an inspiration. <laughs> he was an inspiration for many with all that he's done with his vision, you've helped us think about whether the work we do sits somewhere on the collaborative to focus scale. You've reminded us about uh, and introduced the idea of a focus ritual, which was fabulous to actually think about what to do in order to help get yourself into a, a frame of mind for focused work and whether we need to be focused or scatter focused um, during a particular time of day, because each has its own purposes. 
I loved when you talked about how we need to have expectations around our attention and what others can expect of us, as well as what we can expect of ourselves. And I think that many people will take away the idea of how useful an email sprint can be. Thank you so much for sharing on my quest for the best. You've given us some great ideas and helped broaden everyone's ideas around what hyperfocus can contribute to their lives and business. Thank you so much for having me, man. That was fun. I, I love lightning rounds too. Hey, That's a blast. Where can we find out more about your work online? Yeah. So the, the site that I write at is called a life of productivity.com. So I write kind of, you know, semi-regularly there when, whenever I have something valuable that I want to share. I, I don't try to write a post a week or something. Whenever I have a, an idea that'll help people out, I write about it there. My, my latest book is called Hyperfocus, How to Be More Productive in a World of Distraction. And the, my first book is called The Productivity Project. That was about a year-long series of experiments that I conducted on myself. Thank you so much for having me. I think those are the most helpful avenues that, that somebody could dig into if they're curious. Chris, thank you again so much. Hi, this is Bill. Before you go, I just want to ask you a quick favor. If you've enjoyed this interview on My Quest for the Best, I'd love it if you'd go to iTunes, look up My Quest for the Best, and subscribe. I want to make sure you don't miss the very next episode we have coming up. We've got a lineup of terrific guests, and I know that if you enjoyed this one, you'll like what you find coming up soon. Also, feel free to give it a comment, a like, because we work hard to put these interviews together, and I appreciate making sure that we're reaching you and serving you in the, the best way possible. I look forward to reading your comments and catch you on the next interview. Thanks so much.